Welcome to your number one source for technological innovations, ideas, and strategies for your business. Multiply your business's equations and put the odds in your favor. Now, live from Club ITHQ with your hosts, Ben and Sam, this is Tech Factor. Right, everyone. Uh, welcome. I'm Ben and Sam is on holidays and this is the Tech Factor. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Actually, well, it's not really different per se. We're going to talk about uh, the recent uh, cybersecurity attacks uh, that uh, essentially were all over the news last week on Friday. So uh, basically, if you aren't living under a rock, what you would have heard was uh, the federal government uh, release uh, basically a do a press release on a range of attacks that they primarily blamed on state actors. In this case, um, they identified China as one of the sources of this particular attack. However, it was a, they were attacks that were done uh, using known exploits, uh, utilising uh, standard open source systems and um, effectively copy and paste code. So it wasn't anything particularly... Uh, targeted per se, it was targeted in in the way in the areas that it was targeted to. So it was targeted to very specific organisations. However, the level of sophistication and the way it was done, it wasn't done in a very specific way that you would, for example, normally attribute to uh, a very specific type of targeted state based attack. So, with that said, it was, it was just a broad it was a broad brush attack. Effectively, it was just Use a whole bunch of exploits, run some run some code that effectively you can get off the internet, uh, and see what hits. Now, uh, there was a lot of fuss made about this uh, in the media over the last couple of days, mainly due to the scale of the attack. Uh, but there were some talks about uh, if you read if you read some of the bits and pieces in the uh, in the media, they say, well, you know, what can you do in your own business? And a lot of the references uh, were to the uh, the ASD's Essential 8, or it's now under the uh, Australian Cybersecurity Centre, but previously it was the Australian Signals Directorate. And they have what's called the Essentials 8, which is the Essentials 8. Uh, it's a technical standard for basically some of the control mechanisms that you can put in place to mitigate against some cybersecurity measures uh, to protect your organisation. Now, in most cases, uh in, and most standard types of attacks, these types of measures will mitigate against the majority of effectively what we saw on, on over the last few days, which were what you would almost call like copy and paste attacks, right? Very targeted attacks, uh, there will still be workarounds and there will still be things that people will ultimately do if they spend enough time learning about the people that work in your organisation and uh, basically where the holes are in your in your network and eventually someone will will get in and those types of attacks you know of all the cybersecurity attacks it's about 20 25 percent of the the cybersecurity attacks are targeted attacks of some sort a highly targeted attacks maybe it's down to 15 percent. so effectively you're mitigating against you know against the old 80 20 rule right so you're mitigating against 80 percent of the security um, cybersecurity instances if you implement the essential eight now, uh, what's quite ironic was that, and some of the attacks that were somewhat effective that got through the through some of the defences and some of the various organisations, uh, government departments, uh, you know, some of the some of the government departments have been found over the years to not even 
effectively follow the essential eight, and that's been identified by um, the government's own auditors. So don't feel bad if you're not completely on top of this because the reality of it is that the government isn't on top of it either. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it goes without no surprises that these types of attacks can still affect uh, the Australian government uh, as well as other organisations as well because the reality of it is it is uh, it's quite resource intensive. It requires a a cybersecurity plan. It requires a bit of a budget, a bit of a bit of time allocated. It requires people to be responsible for specific cyber um, activities. So you know, have roles and responsibilities in an organisation. It's effectively what we call the ISO twenty seven thousand one standard, where you've got a, a management structure around cybersecurity and continuous improvement around cybersecurity, and then you implement your technical standards, such as the Essentials Eight. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about the Essentials 8, what that really means in a practical sense, and you know I guess what these eight things are that you can do to help improve the cybersecurity in your business. So the just a little bit of background. So the Essentials 8 uh, is essentially uh, eight basic strategies or basic implementations of things that you can do to mitigate against um, cybersecurity instances uh, in your organisation. So... Uh, what the ASD have basically said is, look, if you do these things, it's far more cost-effective in times of money um, than having to actually respond and deal with cybersecurity incidents. So if you can be proactive and you can deal with these issues, it'll make life a lot easier. And so they highly recommend implementing these. And again, it, it's also re- you've got to have strategy and you've got to have management behind it as well. So you can't just you can't just have your IT department go, this is their responsibility. Cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. And it's important that, you know, even if you implement this type of thing, that you have a management strategy behind it and an actual management framework for internal audit, continuous improvement, et cetera. So in saying that, uh, let's get into it. So the first, uh, I guess, the first key area that the Essentials 8 covers is basically trying to mitigate against malware delivery and execution. So basically trying to stop stuff from getting um, onto your network, being delivered, and then being executed on your network. So, so what does that involve? Well, that really, um, in the essentials, that, that involves four things. So the first thing, uh, and one of the most common things that most people should be aware of, uh, is patching applications. So what that means basically is uh, what often happens over time is uh, there are updates that come through for your applications, whether that be, for example, your web browser. Um, Macromedia or Adobe Flash used to be one of the common things that people would use to exploit because Adobe Flash and now it's not commonly used on websites anymore, but it used to be a big thing. And uh, Adobe Flash had the capability of running all kinds of shell commands, which meant it had direct access to your operating system. So it used to be a major uh, source of vulnerabilities. Fortunately, now most websites don't use Flash, and Flash has been phased out. But things like your web browser, so Google Chrome, Edge, again, exploits happen from time to time. Uh, Microsoft Office is another common one where there's lots of exploits that occur. People find ways to... For example, um, things like Office Macros, where a macro can do all these types of automated um, tasks for you, so in an Excel spreadsheet. But again, it can also access your operating system and do all kinds of other nasty automated things that can cause issues. So really what is, this is about is if there's a really bad vulnerability, you need to patch it straight away. Uh, or you need to have, again, someone like a managed service provider, again, like what Club IT does, to keep an eye on those vulnerabilities and to patch them as soon as they possibly can. Generally, so for extreme risk vulnerabilities, they recommend within 48 hours. 
that's where you've got a piece of malware, for example, that's that's spreading quite actively and you need to patch that ASAP. And certainly um, we would definitely recommend that and that's what the ASD Essential 8 suggests. Uh, at the very least, you need to be doing weekly patching uh, for vulnerabilities regardless anyway. And I think no matter the, the risk of that, I think it's important to do that. So, um, and the reason for that is, as the Essentials 8-based document basically says, is that security vulnerabilities can be used to execute malicious code on your systems, which is basically just reiterating what I've said. If if your software is not up to date, it's possible it could be vulnerable and uh, that could cause issues or ways for people to get access to your system and do all kinds of naughty things. So make sure your software is up to date. Something that, again, the government itself isn't very good at, uh, but it's something that as an organisation, if you want to be serious about cybersecurity, you need to stay on top of. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is application control. So basically prevent certain applications from doing things they shouldn't do. Now, this one's a little bit technical and there may be some built-in systems. Again, if you've got a, a really good um, security package, it will block a lot of this type of stuff automatically. But you may need some assistance uh, in relation to this one because it's about sort of blocking, for example, uh, executables or certain scripts to run on your system. Uh, generally speaking, um, unless you're really familiar with some of this, you'll have trouble implementing this on your own. You may need to seek external advice on, on the best way to do this. But honestly, in a work environment, the best way to do this is literally just to prevent people from opening executables or installing stuff uh, without the required permissions. So essentially locking your network down so that only an administrator can make changes to your network will mitigate against uh, it'll do a, it'll go a long way in terms of application control. There are other applica- other systems you can put in place that will literally um, like whitelist applications. So uh, that is another uh, practice you can do where effectively people can only use a certain applications on your system and everything else is locked down. Uh, and it's a great way of doing things as well. A little bit meticulous uh, and can be a little bit hard to manage depending on the, I guess, the... IT systems you have in place, but that's another option as well. So that's something there that the ASD recommend. A bit of a technical uh, one, but it's it is again important. And I think probably in the most practical sense, it means that if someone doesn't need to be able to install stuff, leave it to the administrators, get them to manually improve, approve, and have permissions for installation. But no one else really should have that access to that. The next one that uh, the ASD talk about is. Again, configuring Microsoft Office macro settings. So we talked a little bit about this in, in patching applications, but essentially um, you've got to be really careful about macros because macros can do all kinds of funny things. And look, they are great for automation in an office, uh, particularly you know in Outlook and Excel. But the problem is, again, with, with this type of system is that, uh, again, they can be used to deliver malicious code on a network. So, again, making sure that the macros that you use, uh, approved macros, are, are restricted in their settings. So you can go to the macro settings on whichever macros that you may be u- utilizing in Office and making sure they only have permissions to do exactly what they need to do. Again, you may need some external advice for this, and it may be worthwhile doing a, a review of this uh, within your organization from time to time just as part of a, an audit process. So that's the other uh, key uh, factor that the um, ASD recommend. So on to the next one, they talk about user application hardening. So that's effectively, what that means is if something doesn't need to really be running 
or it doesn't need to be permissions for an application to do something, just get rid of it. So again, in the, in the example that the ASD talk about, they talk about web browsers blocking Flash so or ideally uninstalling it. And again, that's something I mentioned earlier. Uh, Flash can be used to execute malicious code. Uh, again, if you've got, for example, um, computers that are just doing really basic things, so if you've got like a, let's say, just give me a simple example, let's say you've got a reception PC and it only needs access to, uh, say, one particular application and, and maybe only a couple of websites. Well, you, you just block everything else, right? Uh, and that's what user application hardening is. You just basically say, right, well, this is all I need access to. We restrict the access um, to anything else. And if anything else requires access, then, you know, you go through an approval process, IT tidy it up, and they give them access. Java is another thing that um, you may have heard of Java. It's not only a coffee, it's also a programming language. Java allows us to do lots of really cool things. So uh, Android operating system is heavily based on Java. All the apps that you use on a daily basis are probably heavily based on Java. And in the web browser technology, again, we heavily rely on Java. Java is an amazing programming language. But again, there are some things we don't necessarily need to be using Java on, and there are some scenarios where you may want to restrict Java's functionality. Again, going back to Microsoft Office and PDF viewers, et cetera, PDF. Again, PDF is a great technology that allows us to do all kinds of things. But also PDF does have the ability to uh, open up links that could potentially be malicious or other bits and pieces as well. So just being smart about that stuff. And really, if it doesn't need to be enabled on the system, just don't enable it. And that's really what user application hardening in a, in a simple sense is all about. And again, it's about mitigating uh, the ability for a malicious payload to actually be executed on the system. So, I mean, they're the, um, that's the first half of it. And then really the second half is goes to, uh, well, actually, these are about mitigation strategies, right? So these are the types of strategies you can implement to mitigate against cybersecurity instances. So we've already touched on it, but restricting the ministry of privileges uh, to operating systems and applications based on user duties, well, technically it should be user roles. Uh, so regularly validating the need for privileges. So... Uh, again, and if 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 they're a um, let's say for example the receptionist, they don't need administrative privileges to just read emails, and do web browsing, right? So it's about reviewing the security roles within the organisation. Again, if we go to the ISO twenty seven thousand one standard, it talks about uh, role based access and understanding uh, basically the the roles within an organisation and making sure that when users are onboarded or when, uh, for example, someone's changed their role in an organisation, those permissions are regularly reviewed. So making sure you've got systems in place to, to mitigate against that type of stuff. So uh, I guess in the simple terms and really in a practical thing of what you can do at an organisation level, it's really just about limiting administrative access where it doesn't need to be um, provided. And again, you don't want administrative access on your reception PC, you know, something, a computer right at the front or, you know, computers that are exposed to the public, for example, computers that people can easily get access to. Again, these are the types of systems that we want to lock down and really limit the uh, administrative privileges to. So really limit administrative privileges to only where it's needed and to only the, the minimum number of accounts. The less people that have administrative access, uh, the better for your, um, your network. So the other one we talked about, we've touched on it already, um, patching operating systems. So again, 
we talked about applications, but operating systems is the other one as well. So with uh, operating systems, again, we're seeing vulnerabilities come through all the time, not just with Windows, but also with Mac OS and with Linux from time to time, or Linux, however you like to call it. So again, it's important that uh, you have systems in place to automatically um, update Windows. Windows 10 actually is really good with this. Uh, it's a little bit, um, it's good and bad depending on whose angle you, you, you look at it from. But the great thing about Windows 10 is it is very aggressive in its patching capabilities. Uh, sometimes probably to the point of it might be inconvenient for some users. And again, if, if you're finding you're having trouble keeping up with your patching, you're talking to someone like Cloud IT, we can certainly help with that. We have automated systems that allow us to monitor and manage that stuff. Uh, there are systems that you can look at on the internet as well that can assist with this type of thing as well. But keeping your operating system up to date, really critical. It's the it's the first port of call when someone uh, tries to get access to your, your network. And security vulnerabilities on operating system are, you know, they're open keys to the network. Maybe not everyone has Adobe Acrobat installed, but everyone is running, for example, Windows or Mac OS or something. So making sure that your operating system is kept up to date is really important and it's a one of the most basic things that the, uh, they talk about in the Essentials 8 standard. So the other one, uh, which is literally, a, I would say, a requirement these days is multi-factor authentication, MFA or 2FA, whatever you'd like to call it. Essentially, anything that is used, anything you access remotely should have multi-factor authentication on it, ideally. So not, not even ideally, it's, all, it's, it's literally required these days, to be frank. So things like VPNs, RDP, which... Uh, if we talk about the Toll IPEC example, I guarantee there wouldn't have been two-factor on that. Um, SSH. So SSH is basically a system mainly in the Unix environment where you can log into a, a server and do commands and do bits and pieces. But anything where you can – look, in a simple sense, if, if you access it remotely or if you access it from the cloud, it really should have two-factor on it. And that will mitigate against – a large majority of automated cybersecurity uh, instances. So if you can implement multi-factor authentication on all the areas where you've got um, remote access, that's a really good start. Um, and it will, it, I would say it's probably, of all the things that you can do, particularly in, in the Essentials 8 standard, I would say that's probably the most important these days in terms of mitigating against the most automated attacks. Now, uh, what you can do, again, if we look at, say, um, RDP, so that's Remote Desktop um, Protocol, or RDS, it's also called Remote, remote Desktop Services, is the platform you can use to um, remote into a server and you can have your Windows experience, your start menu, and all your applications in that. Again, there's uh, systems like Duo Security, for example, that offer two-factor authentication. There's a whole range of platforms out there. But what you should do is you should look at all the things that you access remotely and go, okay, how can I enable two-factor on that? So if it's Google um, Google G Suite, for example, or Office 365, they have those functionality built in. All you really got to do is, you know, Google literally, you know, do a search engine, how to enable two-factor on Office 365 or, or on um, G Suite. It's very simple, very easy to do. But have a look at all the applications that you use remotely and look at two-factor or multi-factor solutions for those. Really important part of the standard, and that's one of the things that they recommend as the Essentials 8. Uh, the last one that I want to talk about, uh, and it's an interesting one, so 
It's about mitigation strategies to recover data and, and system availability. So, again, this is a little bit once the horse has bolted, right? Um, it, it's look, it's it's extremely important. And still, don't get me wrong. Backups uh, is the most one of the most important ABCs of of good IT practice. Uh, but in the case of a major cybersecurity incident, if you're relying on backups, you're probably already at the point where uh, some of the worst damage has already occurred. So uh, what they say in the Essentials 8, and I'll read it verbatim, is daily backups of important new change data, software and configuration scenes stored, disconnected, retained for at least three months, test restor- restoration initially, annually, and when IT infrastructure changes. It says why? To ensure information can be accessed following a cybersecurity incident. So once an incident occurs or after the fact, make sure you can still get your systems back up. I mean, that's essentially what it's saying. Um, The problem is now, and again, this is where maybe the standard may need to be updated at some point, but it's still, daily backups are still extremely important. But what we're seeing now is we're now seeing uh, what we've reported previously on at the Tech Factor is things like the Maze ransomware, for example, where they don't care whether you're, um, you know, they they won't bother encrypting your data. They'll just take your data. And they'll hold your data to ransom, but not in the traditional way that, oh, well, if you don't give us money, we won't give you back your data. They'll publish your data to the internet via the dark web for all to see. So that's the new way of ransomware attacks. The thing about that type of attack is that it doesn't matter how many copies of um, your server data or whatever you might have, in those instances... Uh, they're going to publish your data if you don't pay the ransom no matter what. So it doesn't matter that you've got a copy of your data because they've got a copy too and they're more focused on doing malicious damage via publishing that information on the dark web. Creates a whole bunch of issues, um, not only reputational damage but uh, massive security damage for the yeah, for your clients, your customers. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole whirlwind of, of problems. And that's what we're now starting to see in terms of ransomware. So while... Daily backups, extremely important. And again, the Essentials 8 standards suggest that you should retain key data for at least three months. Uh, And again, it it says you need to test initially, annually, and also when IT infrastructure changes. Again, 100% agree with that. Uh, But don't assume that backups or regular backups alone are a good cybersecurity strategy on their own. Then now I would suggest... You know, a very small part of the picture, lesser part of the picture than uh, what they were before. So in terms of good IT practice, absolutely, you've got to have your backups in place. Not just, I mean, you, look, forget about cybersecurity for a minute. Uh, statistically speaking, the vast majority of basically uh, data loss occurs uh, not through cybersecurity instances, but it occurs through human error. So of course, Regardless of how good of cybersecurity measures you have in place, human error is what's going to ultimately uh, cause issues with your data, and that's going to be where you're going to need your backups. So, good cyber, good practice, good IT practice, putting aside cybersecurity, have your daily backups. You know, make sure you have your data retention policies. Now, you may not necessarily need to re- retain all of your data for three months. I would suggest it says it says important new or changed data or software and configuration scenes. So. What it's saying is the stuff that basically is operational to the business, you should really keep that for as long as you possibly can. It says ideally around three months. There may be some data that 
again, you, you might not necessarily need to be backing up every single thing uh, for at least three months. So, uh, again, that may be excessive in some circumstances. It, it depends on the organisation and certainly if you're a mid-sized organisation, I'd be recommending it anyway because the price of storage is fairly cheap these days. It's a fairly easy thing to implement. But, again, your, your data loss is typically going to come through human error. It's not going to come uh, generally now through cybersecurity. And if it's coming regularly through cybersecurity instances, you've got a far bigger problem because it means that all of the other things that we've discussed haven't been sufficiently covered. And that, my friends, is the Essentials 8. So that is what the ASD call the Essentials 8. It is a really good uh, technical standard and advice for what you should be doing in terms of mitigating against your cybersecurity exposure. And that's, that's the other thing I want to talk about very briefly before we finish up. Cybersecurity insurance isn't a cybersecurity um, measure in terms of mitigating against cybersecurity instances. And what we're now starting to see, I just want to make this point because some people might go, oh, well, I've, I've got cybersecurity insurance. It doesn't really matter uh, if I implement any strategies or, or not or if I do anything useful. Uh, if, you know, I don't need to do patching because I've got cybersecurity insurance. They'll just cover it. Uh, what we're starting to see now is the cybersecurity insurance won't necessarily cover you if you're not taking sufficient cybersecurity measures to mitigate against cybersecurity in your business. So what you may eventually find uh, with your cybersecurity insurance is that you won't be covered unless you are doing these types of basics. Uh, and again, it depends on the size and scale of the business and various circumstances and the insurance you have. But it's something to really keep in mind that Having cybersecurity insurance does not guarantee that uh, you will be covered or you'll be able to mitigate against um, cybersecurity instances, at least financially, if you aren't doing all the right things in the first place. Again, uh, it's becoming a very complicated area and there's a lot of law developing around cybersecurity insurance. And, you know, again, the insurance companies, they want to make money. And if cybersecurity instances are increasing and, uh, you know, they're going to have to increase the premiums and they're going to have to tighten the controls in order to make sure that they make their income as well from the risk. So something else to keep in mind is that cybersecurity insurance is not a cybersecurity mitigation solution and it doesn't talk about that in the standard because, again, it's not a technical, well, it is a, it's not a technical mitigation strategy. It's something, sure, you need to have, but, again, you need to be implementing the right cybersecurity measures if you want to be sufficiently covered by your cybersecurity insurance. So that's the Essentials 8. It's, it's a really important standard, great standard, something that you should be considering for your business. Again, if you need help implementing that, companies like ourselves at Club IT, we can do all those types of things. We've got a range of systems in place to, to basically deal with these types of um, measures that you can put in place. Uh, the other thing I just want to um, touch on, so again, it is a technical standard. Some of these things you may be able to very easily implement by yourself just by doing a little bit of Googling. Other things you may require a specialist. Uh, so, and, But the other thing as well, you've really got to make sure this doesn't come just from your IT. So if you're an IT department and you're listening to this, it's great that you're listening to this and it's great that you can maybe implement some of these things, but make sure you get management on board as well. You've got to get management on board. It's got to be a whole organisation responsibility. And, and that's really what this is all about. And when you look at the government departments, for example, that maybe don't have some of these things in place that has been exposed before by the auditor uh, at, at a national level, again, that comes down to making sure that everyone is on the same page in terms of cybersecurity. And maybe 
and I'm just hypothesising, but again, with large organisations, whether it is government level or whether it is, say, an ASX-listed company, they have departments and they go, well, that's IT's responsibility or that's their responsibility. Cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. Can't, can't stress that enough. So while you can put these measures in place, it's important you also have the management systems in place that support it and the training and awareness across an entire organisation that uh, understands the importance of cybersecurity. So that is the tech factor. So I'm Ben. That was the tech factor. That is the ASD Essentials 8 Cybersecurity. And we will see you guys next time.